Okay, so now I have to get through this without crying, so y'all can pray for me, please. <sighs> See, I already got that y'all, West Virginia. <laughs> well, good evening, everybody. I am a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, and I celebrate recovery from alcohol. My name is Beth. Will you? Hi, family. Will you pray with me? God, I just thank you for this place. God, as I share our story tonight, please just calm my nerves and be with those who are struggling. I pray that this testimony you have given me will help someone here tonight. And God, I just thank you for all that you've given me and just every single person who has been a part of my recovery here. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So I was born in 1981 into a family of a mom and a dad and two older sisters who are eight and nine years older than me. We moved to California from Arkansas when I was four years old. Having sisters that much older than me was awesome for me, not so much for them. I always looked up to my sisters and wanted to hang out with them and, um, and all of their friends, and it made me mature really fast for my age. I was always a little more advanced than my peers when it came to the milestones of adolescence. My life as a little girl was pretty normal. I was a Girl Scout. My middle sister played travel softball and was kind of the star of our family. My oldest sister was the responsible one who always took care of things. And my dad was a fireman and my mom worked at a government job. We were just a normal family living a very normal, happy life. And that's what my life looked like on the outside and really what could be wrong with that. My parents did love to gamble. They would leave us at home with my grandma and go to Reno or Tahoe for the weekend quite a lot. They were VIP gamblers at the casino and treated really well there, so that became their source of entertainment and subsequent addiction. One of the weekends that they were gone was on New Year's. They left my teenage sisters and I home alone with one bottle of champagne so we could toast the New Year. I was six years old. My sisters let me drink the champagne that night so I wouldn't tell on them about their party. They invited their friends and one of my sisters got so drunk I remember her friends holding her up in the shower fully clothed um, and trying to just keep her awake. She threw up in every single room in the house that night and so there was really no hiding it. When my parents got home, they said, well, I hope you learned your lesson and that was about that. So I guess we th they thought our lesson had been learned from the hangovers that we all had that day. Around the age of 10, my parents were involved in a Bible study. I was able to go with them. It was in the book of Daniel, and it was about the miracles that had happened to those who'd fully, fully faithfully followed Jesus. I was fascinated, and I did the whole study with them. I had become a believer in Jesus, and I wanted to go to church. My family was not involved in church, just that Bible study. Um, and I would go to church with friends as often as I could because um, I just would find a way to get there. I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior at the age of 10. I was baptized twice before high school, once in a Baptist church and once in an apostolic church. I knew that I loved the Lord and he loved me, yet I was confused by religion and wanted to make doubly sure that I was saved. Once I got into high school, that all slipped away, and I had other priorities, such as boys, parties, and trying to fit in. As a freshman in high school, I was really enjoying having older sisters, and I was pretty unafraid to try anything. My middle sister had her own place with her son and a roommate, and I started smoking cigarettes, drinking, and getting high with her. 
that carried over into me getting older friends in high school and doing the same with them. I had a couple of older boyfriends and became intimate with them, then looking for attention and for a good time. I had very few friends my own age because they were too innocent for me. My parents had no idea I was up to any of this. They were gone on the weekends gambling. I was getting good grades in school and was get, getting involved in FFA, which was a great program. I had a curfew and I never broke it. I appeared to be just this good kid that they didn't worry about. At the age of 15, I fell in love and devoted all my time to my boyfriend. It was sort of a love at first sight relationship for me and a love-lust relationship for him. We had many breakups that would last a couple of days just to be right back together. I had just turned 17 years old the summer of my senior year in high school and I had a part-time fast food job and he wasn't working. His dad used and dealt drugs and was always giving him money and sending him on his way to do whatever he wanted. We had just gotten back together from one of our three-day breakups and I wasn't feeling good. Took a pregnancy test and found out that I was pregnant. I immediately dropped to my knees crying, and he picked me up, looking me in the eyes to tell me it was all going to be okay. Three months later, we were married. I was 17, and he was 19 years old. I started my senior year of high school, and he started working. We worked hard. Most of my life was fully consumed with working, raising my kids, being a good daughter, being the best wife I could be to my husband, and giving him free time to be a young guy. It was my life's mission to prove to everyone that I could be a good mom and wife at 18 years old. I did what I could. I paid our bills from day one. My husband would give me his checks to deposit. I would do the whole juggling act of choosing which bill to pay and which one to ignore. And he would spend money without even thinking about it. He would get mad when we were broke. If he couldn't do something he wanted to do, I would make sure he always had money to do things that he wanted. I would borrow money from my parents. The bills would be paid late and we would have our lights go out or a vehicle repossessed. He wouldn't know of our financial reality until it was too late. My biggest fear was that he would be unhappy and if he couldn't do the things that he wanted and that he would leave me and I would be alone with two kids. So he never really knew how broke we were until it was too late and I couldn't hide it anymore. I resented him for not knowing. I resented him for doing all of the things that he wanted to do when I didn't have time or money to do what I wanted because I was the one taking care of everything. But I would never show him that. I would never do anything to indicate to anyone that our marriage was in trouble. When I was 24, we decided to have another baby. At least this one was planned. <laughs> I was so sick with him, though, throughout my entire pregnancy and almost really died. The best birth control that God could have given me for the future was being pregnant with this baby. After I had him, I wanted a job that I could work and make money but still have time to volunteer at the school and be involved with my kids. So I sold real estate, I joined the PTA, I was a room mom, coached their t-ball team, and had a little baby. I knew we could do this, I could be a successful team mom with that same picture-perfect family that I always knew we were supposed to be. My fun time would come. Every single weekend we would have people over to our house or we would go to our friend's house. We played poker, we drank, we partied, all with the kids running around. This went on for years. I worked several different jobs here and there, but my priority was always my kids and my husband. My two older kids got involved with youth football and cheer when they were seven and eight, and I was on the board for their cheer team within the first year. My husband soon followed, and we dedicated all of their years coaching and leading on the board for their new team. Now I was fully committed not only to my kids and my husband, but also this organization. 
again so busy running and going and being responsible until after dark when we could relax with a drink and hang out with our friends. Drinking was my way to unwind and decompress. It was my me time. Life was busy and I developed terrible eating habits. Every meal for the most part was fast food. We ate on the go what was cheap and what was available. I gained a ton of weight and was feeling really depressed. I was over 220 pounds, barely in my 30s, and I had decided to have gastric bypass surgery to get myself back. I was depressed and I thought it was because I was fat. And sure enough, with the surgery, I lost a lot of weight and I looked good and felt really good. And I really thought that I was now the life of the party and knew how to have a good time. But even skinny, I lived in fear of losing my husband. I still struggled financially and still struggled with depression and anxiety. I was recruited to work for a nonprofit foundation. I would become an independent contractor having the freedom to work my own schedule. But the requirement was to put on fundraising events and manage the day-to-day -day operations, donations, and logistics for the foundation. It was the most money I had made since selling real estate and an opportunity to really do some good in the world. What started as a plan to be four fundraising events a year turned into being some sort of event every other week and completely consumed my life. I loved it though. I had power, I had nearly unlimited resources from the president of the foundation, and all of our events were just a huge party, the party we did. I began meeting up with my husband every night at home with a handle of whiskey. I was always so stressed out from my day and the details of planning the events. The only way I could shut my brain off was to get so drunk that I would pass out. The events I put on, they were amazing. Major concerts, carnivals, festivals, comedy shows, boxing shows, dinners, etc. But every single event was never good enough. We had a list that we called to do better, which is a good thing to review what you can change for the next time. But to do better became the focus of my world and I spiraled out of control trying to reach perfection that would never come. I started to wake up in the middle of the night with terrors and night sweats. I would be gagging and vomiting sick because my mind, I was gonna be fired and my family was gonna leave so I drank more and more. I would get up, shake off the cobwebs and go to work. By noon, the detox symptoms would come back with the shakes and the need for my next drink so I would go home and I would have a drink. I would stop at the store and buy another bottle of whiskey to refill the bottle that my husband and I were drinking together so he wouldn't know that I was drinking before he got home. He would drink with me at night, but he didn't struggle like I did throughout the night and in the morning. He never experienced the symptoms that I did of detox. I thought I would be fine if I could just find a way to give up this job. I wouldn't be as stressed and I would be okay. So after a few years of this, I decided to quit. I gave my notice, I did my last event, my only responsibility left was to wrap up the event I had just completed and find a new job. The day after I finished that last event, I got totally drunk and celebrated and crashed the foundation's car into a parked car and got a DUI in the middle of the day. My husband passed by as the accident happened and watched me get arrested and then tow away my total car, the foundation's totaled car. I thought my life was over. I now had no job. My secret was out about day drinking. My husband and kids were so heartbroken. My husband wouldn't let me come home from jail. He made my mom come to pick me up. He told me over the phone that unless I were to get help, that I couldn't come home. So I checked myself into a rehab and got sober. <laughs> While I was in rehab, they reminded me about my higher power, Jesus Christ. We talked about what life would look like on the outside of rehab, and it was made clear that my environment had to change. 
When I left there, I started going to AA occasionally. I began, try, began trying to work the steps, but it was only surface work, and I didn't really know how to surrender. About three months sober, I figured I now had the tools to know when I was out of control, and I could drink just on the weekends. I had started giving myself that permission when my dad passed away. I was a mess over my dad. He had been living with congestive heart failure for the past several years. And I was pretty absent because I had been so busy with my life at the foundation and with the kids' activities that I didn't have time for what was going on with him. I was feeling really guilty about it, and I really got swept away in my drinking again, quickly worse than before, and hiding it became a game that I would play and eventually, I thought, perfect. My kids were over my drinking. My oldest son had moved out, and, when, uh, and we had about a period of a year that he needed to stay away. My, my daughter moved away to the military as soon as she turned 18 because she couldn't stand to be around me drunk. And my youngest son would sit out and watch me party and drink and try to stop me from having too many every single night. I would get so mad at him and yell at him that I was the adult. And when he was an adult like me and had to deal with the things that I had to deal with, then he could tell me I had enough. I became a completely different person. I no longer cared about myself or anyone or anything. I couldn't be bothered with helping my kids with anything. And in fact, I would make them miss things that they had planned so they can drive me. At this point in my life, I was totally selfish and expecting to be paid back for all that I had done for my family for over the years. Now it was my turn for freedom. Yet I still had to keep up the appearance that I was well after losing my last job because I couldn't stay sober, stay sober long enough and my performance started to lack. I was at home sneaking liquor into my bedroom. I was trying to pretend that I wasn't drinking again and isolating and drinking alone. I went to the store. I had bought oranges to cut up and take to my son's baseball game. I was such a thoughtful mom. I wanted them to stay hydrated. And I had been drinking in my room most of the morning and filled up my water bottle, vodka, and took it to the game. As I was cheering on my son, he turned around and told me to go home. I was acting drunk and embarrassing him. I was so mad at him. How dare he accuse me of that? I was just trying to have a good time and cheer him on. And I stormed out of there and went home to my room and had another drink. My husband had just gotten home from work. And he came in to tell me to go buy a breathalyzer so I could prove to my son that I was sober. Well, I was busted. And I lost control of my emotions. I wanted to die because I couldn't escape my addiction. I was a horrible mom who totally embarrassed her kid. I was about to lose the one thing I cared about for good, which was my family. My mom took me to the hospital that day, and I was put in a, in a green paper jumpsuit on a suicide hold. I prayed all night long. I pleaded with God. God, help me out of this life of addiction. Help me get back to myself. I ultimately surrendered to him right there in the hospital bed, drunk, mind you. And uh, I knew that, the, that I couldn't, on my own power, I couldn't overcome this, but only by the power of Jesus Christ. And he gave me hope. Yeah. Isaiah 41.10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you with my righteous right hand. 
I was able to go home from the hospital under the careful watch of my family. I came clean about everything I was doing. We got rid of all of the alcohol in my home, which was hard for everyone. I walked into the doors of Big Valley Celebrate Recovery exactly seven days after being in the hospital. I remember coming into this place singing the words, I'm going to see a victory, putting my hands up in the air and allowing the Holy Spirit just to take over. I was terrified going into the first time guest room. I didn't know anyone in there. I was so scared. Even though I was afraid, I shared what brought me there. I was broken, but so were the other people in that room. I really wasn't alone. God was with me, and so was the couple that shared their experience, strength, and hope, which made me feel like I belonged. I came back the next week. I was introduced to the person who would come become such a huge part of my recovery story. She was the facilitator of my room, and she told me that I was the most important person in the room that night, and it was totally up to me if I wanted to share. I did, and I felt safe, and I cried, and I cried every single week for a long time, and I still cry. <laughs> I keep coming back, though, because it felt good to be honest and real. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. In Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10, two are better than one because they have good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone. And when he falls, has not another to lift him up. I knew I needed to stay busy. I knew I needed God. I couldn't do this on my own. So the reason I knew was because I had tried so many times and I had failed. So I kept talking to God just like I did in that hospital room. And I started attending church. I got a sponsor. I did everything I could to get involved. I signed up for a Bible study. I started going to church or going to college for the first time in my life. I wasn't working, so I knew that if I was going to stay sober, I had to stay busy. So I kept coming back every Tuesday, church on Sunday. One day, I felt like God was telling me to look on the church website for a job. I was terrified to go back to work because I was only around 30 days sober, and I knew I wasn't ready to put myself in any stressful situations. I saw that the church was hiring for an administrator for Celebrate Recovery. I couldn't believe it. I was qualified for this job, and it was at a church where I knew I needed to be, and it was in recovery. No way could I do this. I was barely sober and thought that there was no way that they would hire me. So I ignored it at first, but I kept coming back to the website. I finally did apply after praying about it and talking to my sponsor and my counselor. I applied for the job at the church and another job that would allow me to work from home. The job that I could work from home was more money and it was from home, so I thought, well, that would be safe. I was called in for an interview though at the church and I knew I had to be honest with where I was in my life. I shared that I was new in recovery, but that I was confident that I was on the right path and that I had been putting in the work to maintain my sobriety. I interviewed a second time with the panel of people. Scott was there, who just told us about that. <laughs> um, so I cried in the interview. I was sharing what brought me to the church. Seriously, who cries in an interview? But I told them, if I couldn't be honest here, where could I be? And I was hired having between 40 and 50 days sober at that time. Whew. I can only say that God had a plan and, and a purpose for me in my life and knew exactly what I needed. As I look back now, what were they thinking? Hiring a broken alcoholic, but we all trusted in God's plan and obeyed what he led us to do. 
That job put some very special people in my life who have become part of my family. Thank you, Scott, for taking a chance on me and becoming one of my brothers, and I'm really going to miss you. 1 Peter 5.10, all of the God and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered just a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. So I began working at the church, going to school, attending church on the weekends, attending recovery meetings on Tuesday, and in a Bible study. I quickly realized I was doing way too much, and instead of giving in, and becoming overwhelmed and going back to alcohol, I called my sponsor. She told me, clear my plate, focus on your recovery. So I'm the kind of person that when I decide I'm going to do something, I do it all in. I wanted to do the work. They kept saying I needed a step study. Well, it was summertime. Most of the classes were on break and step studies were coming soon. All summer long. (laughs) I was so frustrated because I wanted to get through this as quickly as possible. As soon as that that step study came open, I adjusted my schedule and got signed up. Cool. I can check that off the list now. This had to be the slowest time of my life. It felt like it took us a while to get going in the groove of working our steps, and I thought this process was never going to end. Pastor Scott gave a message about how taking the back roads has its benefits and sometimes it's good to slow down, take the long way, and really enjoy the experience. That lesson changed my recovery for the better because it made me realize I wasn't checking boxes to complete a task. But this is a process and God had a lesson for me in each and every step. I no longer rush my recovery and now look for the lessons that God is teaching me in each season of life. It took me months to complete my inventory because I was hung up on rigorous honesty and the thorough inventory. Step four was so hard for me because the biggest resentment that I held was against myself. God has allowed me to forgive myself because he has forgiven me. His unconditional love and forgiveness worked in me and I try to look at myself and others through his eyes, not my own. By doing this, I have found it easier to forgive others. My memories are not erased of the hurt and pain that I walked through and that my family walked through, but those memories make today's reality reality so much more special. Today, I have a great relationship with my oldest son and have experienced great things with him, including his wedding this past May. My daughter and son-in-law have asked us to come live in West Virginia and be a part of their lives as they are planning to start their family. And my youngest son just wrote me an incredible letter from Navy boot camp, which he's in uh, battle stations tonight, so I'm praying for him, but he wrote me this amazing letter from Navy boot camp telling me what a great mother I have been, and he is confident that he and his siblings will be great parents one day because of the parents that dad and I have been. My family has been restored by the grace of God. Step four was really hard for me because in my mind, I didn't drink because I resented people. I drank because the day ended in why and because I liked the way it made me feel. I struggled during this step with really connecting the dots of resentment to my part. Not that I didn't want to own my part, but the only really thing I could see was my part. And I wanted to make up for everything. Step eight couldn't come fast enough. I really wanted to rush straight to the amends, but there is a reason that that isn't step five. 
Before I was ready to say sorry and mean it, I needed to understand what my patterns of behavior were and to understand what I was really sorry for. I finished my first step study with a new outlook on my life. I made bonds in that room that will not be broken. It didn't matter why we were there. We were all there to encourage each other, to cry with each other, and to cheer each other on when we were having a hard time. We had loss, we had victory, but I completed it sober. And I just want to thank my step study sisters, some of you watching from afar, um, for your love and support. God saved my life, and he used Celebrate Recovery to do it. He knew that I needed to be surrounded by strong people who have overcome tough things and that will be in my corner no matter what. He has brought me a sponsor who is always honest, loving, and supportive. She doesn't judge and doesn't fix me, but shares encouragement, experience, and scripture. She prays with me and for me and my family. And I have been blessed to serve this ministry as an open share facilitator, the um, assimilation coach for the TEAM at Big Valley Grace CR, and part of the greeting team. I'm so thankful that scripture tells us that God uses all things for his good purpose and has not only given me grace and forgiveness, but he uses all of this and me to help other people know that healing and restoration is possible. I know I not only have my blood family back, but I have made a whole new family with my brothers and sisters in Christ. So to the newcomer, healing is possible, and it begins to happen when you surrender your will over to the care of God. And I read that just one more time. Healing is possible, and it begins when you surrender your will over to the care of God. Allow him space to work in and through you, and he will. It's okay to cry. Release those emotions. You are safe here. Don't do it alone. Let us love you until you can love yourself. Get a sponsor. Let them lift you up. Go to group and share. Release that ick into the room so that you don't take it home with you. Eventually, you'll be sharing hope. Work the steps, not because you were supposed to do it, but do it with a willing heart. Get involved. Serving others will help you get through those doors when you are struggling. And the accountability you will share with others does come in handy and just work an honest program. Be honest with yourself and be honest with God because the truth will set you free. Thank you for letting me share. So proud of you. That was horrible. You're going to have to redo it next week. You can't leave. Beth, thank you so much for sharing your story and allowing us to be a part of your journey. And to be a part of uh, the back end of that journey was something special. And I know you got a special family. I love them. Beth is leaving. And so she's going to West Virginia, Mountain Mamas, and that's where they're headed, her and Mike. And I know if uh, her testimony touched your heart tonight, please let her know. And uh, I know they'll be watching online with us. And then Mike is going as well. Some of you know him from the room, so make sure you say goodbye to him. And we look forward to next July when you come back and share your testimony with us, Mike. So... But hey, our focus question tonight is, where is your hope found and why? 
If you didn't hear that from that testimony, you need to listen to it again. Next week when Beth comes back to share it again. Um, but anyhow, uh, where's your hope found and why? And so let's close our time with the serenity prayer, and then we'll head off to open share group. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever the next. Amen. Amen. God bless. You guys have a great evening. First time guest right across the hallway. Second time guest right up front. Other than that, we'll see you guys at dessert.